On a show that talks about time traveling Bigfoot and alien sex cults, this is serious journalism, people. Serious. This time, this like, time we mean it. If you think that there are not birds that are not <laughs> real, you're a moron. I do have a superstition that Satan and his minions yes. interrupt mm. technological yes. connections when conversations are getting yes. particularly interesting or, or important. At this point, I'm not throwing these weirdos out because maybe they're telling the truth. Why does everything have to be a hidden conspiracy where the <laughs> motives aren't really clear? Where you can't tell what someone's intentions are from their words. Why, Abby, why? I, I feel like you're just not answering the question. There is a pattern here that is definitive, and mm -hmm. this leads us to the CEO's response, yes. which is not the way that you Amazing. want to play being accused of in a conspiracy theory. Glowing metal things that are moving in impossible speeds and impossible directions, defying laws of physics, showing up over battlefields, showing up over important historical events for all of history. This is Chekhov's gun, you guys. It's the gun that's been sitting on the mantelpiece since Act 1. It's Act 3 now. I'm waiting for it to go off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conspiracy Pilled Season 3, Episode 23. The government would never Ruby Ridge and Waco. I'm your host, PJ never. Williams, and with me is Abby Libby. How you doing, Abby? I'm good. And they would never. They they, they never would. This is the this is the case for why the government would never. Would not ne would never. They can't even. I heard. That's <laughs> what I, I heard. Because, they can't of the Constitution, even. because right? of the Constitution. Because of the Constitution. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, so yeah, before we jump into this, I want to give a quick shout out to all of our local supporters who come over and support the show. Uh, we have three new yearly supporters this week. We have Doctor Knights, Midarn, I think, Midarn. and Robert M. F. and Dole. So thank you for coming over to nice. Locals, uh, conspiracypill.locals.com, uh, where you get a bonus weekly episode. Tomorrow night, we're going to be talking about, is the NFL rigged? We're going to be talking about that whole thing. I've had so many people send me stuff on this. Uh, I put it off, but we got the Super Bowl coming up. It's a perfect time to talk about it. Uh, so we're going to be covering that tomorrow night. So if you want to be there for that live, uh, download the Locals app. Come over on your web browser, conspiracypill.locals.com. Support the show. Um, but yeah, Abby's got... A lot of interesting stuff for us. It's been a it's been a hectic bit of research this week. How you yeah. doing? Yeah, I thought it's good. I'm good. I thought I was gonna have a whole nother week to research this, which is your fault. But it's my fault. <laughs> but then so, I also procrastinated, which is my fault. So yeah. Well, so here's the thing, guys. We're not gonna have a live stream on Valentine's Day. One, because it's Valentine's Day. Uh, two, because that's Abby and John's anniversary. Am I yeah. correct? Yes. So that was when we were going to do timing things out. We were going to like move things around. We're ending season three soon. We're starting season four. So next week will actually be the season three recap. We're going to be talking about uh, a little bit more about Freemasonry and going over the stories that we've covered this season. Uh, we've yeah. got some actually really interesting updates on some of the episodes, uh, including a new Tartaria theory that dropped. Uh, <laughs> So we're going to talk about that hey. and all that stuff next week. So make sure you're here for that. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, then we're going to be taking a week off, and we're going to be starting season four the week after that. We have a lot of crazy, awesome stuff coming up in season four. I 
I also got to say, you guys have obviously seen, like, we've had all these issues with, like, studios and live spaces and audio and things like that. I have been like a madman over here working on some pretty new, interesting stuff for season four that's going to make the show look better, sound better, be more fun, be more interactive. It's, I'm excited about it. I tried to show Abby and she's like, I don't care. <laughs> but, um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. I said I'm too busy right now. <laughs> too Difference. busy. Difference. Too busy. I was at work. I know. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's going to be exciting. So there's pretty big stuff coming up. We've actually booked a lot of guests for season four. Uh, some big guests. Uh, some of you have asked us to have certain people on for a while. And we got we got them. We've gotten everybody we've asked for so far. So that's all exciting. Um, I'm done talking, though. What do we got, Abby? What are we doing? Okay. So we're going to talk about Ruby Ridge. And then we're going to talk about Waco. Then we're going to kind of make some sense of it all together. But I kind of just wanted to put out there as a caveat that because we're doing them both in the same show and because this is a conspiracy show and not a true crime show, there's going to be things that we don't get into, details we could get lost in that we won't. So don't get mad at us if some your favorite little detail is not there. Because I, I think the overarching threads, the overarching ideas are the things that we really want to get to tonight. So don't. Me. <laughs> We're not a true crime show, so it's not going to be every detail about David Crush's life yes. and his band and yada, 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 yada. We mentioned his band, so you can't say we didn't mention his band. All right. Hang on. Ruby Rich. Which really, it sounds, it sounds like a movie. Like the title of the movie. It does sound like a movie. Okay. Sounds like a Clint Eastwood movie for some reason. This story, yeah. This story (laughs) starts with the ATF being born from the womb of the IRS in 1972. So it was a new, yay. Only the two worst government agencies ever. Ever (laughs) exist. Yeah. (laughs) Metal Cormantish says they always have bands, don't they? Yes. They do. Yes, they do. They always do. Have bands. Yeah, we've, we've never, we haven't even talked. What, what's his name? Um, Helter Skelter. We've never even talked about him, but that was a big thing. He was a musician that played with the Beach Boys. Oh, okay. Cool. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Uh, yes. So, really, very, very, very quickly for anyone who's just kind of unaware, and what is the ATF, and 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 what are they? What are they? What are they good for, PJ? Absolutely nothing. They're they're the they're the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And you're right. They were born in 1972. I think that a lot of reasons why Ruby Ridge and Waco uh, are interesting is because they were the first time I think most people even heard of the ATF because it sounds like a party store, which is the joke, right? It's like (laughs) alcohol, tobacco, firearms, three completely legal things. And we have maybe the most overstepping government agency outside of the FBI and the CIA. So they've got some competition. that monitors these three very legal. <laughs> What's funny is the whole tobacco thing. Like you never hear about a raid on like somebody, you know, selling right. illegal, illegal cigarettes or something. If you guys can count to thirty in the chat, you can like the stream. So like the stream. <laughs> I see all the counting going on. <laughs> like the stream, guys. Who cares about Liz's tea or whatever is going on right now? Pour over coffee. But yeah, it, about the the ATF though. Like a big part of the ATF too has been since nineteen eighty four 
when Congress essentially handed over the rights to write laws to agencies, mm-hmm. the ATF has been the ones writing every gun law because the Congress will just be like, here's a gun law that says you can own a thing. And then they say, <laughs> oh, but not if it's this, 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 and this. And they make up the laws and then mm-hmm. they enforce the laws by shooting innocent people, which is kind of <laughs> kind of what this is about. Yes. Yeah. So this, this story is about the Weaver family. Uh, Randy and Vicki Weaver and their four kids, and then also Kevin Harris, who is a teenager that they took in. But by the time we get to the incident in question, he's not a teenager anymore. He's 25. And he's, he's, every time you hear the story, it's like friend of the family, friend of the family, friend of the family. But like, he's essentially another one of their kids. They just like, took him in like later. an adopted kid. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's essentially part of the family. Um, when the, when the narrative, when the narrative goes around, they, they try to paint him as this like other man who's part of their militia and guns and scary, like the Weavers and Kevin Harris. Like he's just this <laughs> the kid Weavers they took Kevin. in. What are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I have a mugshot photo of Randy just to introduce you to Randy. Um, he was obviously not pleased when they took he, this photo. He looks like he could be a Johnny Cash impersonator. He's bit. he's actually quite an attractive person. You wouldn't think that someone who's like got that face with a cut jaw and all that would be would find himself in the position he finds himself in. You think sure. like pretty people have pretty lo- I, I don't know. <laughs> um not to simp for Randy Weaver or anything cuz we don't need to do Simping that. Simping for white supremacists. <laughs> or at least I'm told he is. I don't know. But. Yeah. So Randy was an army sergeant who enlisted during the Vietnam War. He trained as a Green Beret, became a Green Beret, was stationed at Fort Bragg, but he never deployed and he never saw combat. So when when you hear this narrative of like, the reason they were so scared of him is because they knew he was this special forces agent with tons of military experience. No, he never once left the country i mean he did like i will say this though like he, he had training. good training yeah right. for sure like that doesn't i right. don't want to negate the fact that he had a lot of good training and like right. prove that he's at least tough like the training to sure. become a and it might have been different back then i have no idea how mm-hmm. the, it's evolved but nowadays it's pretty intense stuff but yeah no i mean he's at least trained but he's not like a right you know Door when kicker. you hear the story, it's like he's this tough Vietnam veteran who's just right. I know, <laughs> like he's painted as this really scary dude, and like I'm not saying he's not, but not the <clears throat> way that he's. Sure. Pain- I was really surprised when I found out he had never actually been in Vietnam. Right. Okay, not to not to disrespect his service. <laughs> Dis- it's not his you fault. Can he was. Yeah, it's all good. No, it's not his fault. He was never deployed. The timing was just wrong. Anyway. His wife, Vicky, um, started having what she saw as prophetic dreams about them living on a mountaintop where they'd be safe when revelation started to happen, when the apocalypse came. So they moved from, I believe, Iowa to rural, rural Idaho, and Randy built a cabin on this mountain ridge. There were not really people around, very, very rural, um, but this very isolated cabin on a mountain ridge. Looks very Idaho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think of Idaho, I don't I don't know 
I think of potatoes and then I think the whole landscape looks like potatoes. True story. Funny story. <laughs> funny story. Because I used to live in, in eastern Washington. Idaho's gorgeous and Washington produces an insane amount more potatoes than Idaho. Oh. But yes, that is like people think of Idaho as like flat um, p- potato fields. Potato and that's where fields. I lived. It's in, uh, in southeastern Washington yeah. state, which is all potato fields. Right. They're not flat, though. It's like rolling hills with potato fields. But yeah. Maine also has a lot of potatoes. People don't know <clears throat> that either. I didn't Rustic know that. County. Rustic County okay. has a ton of potatoes. Um, okay. Be that as it may, potatoes have nothing to do with this story. Unless they do secretly. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to need you to, to come up in the chat with a way that potatoes have something to do with the story. <laughs> <sighs> okay. In January of 1985, Randy... And his wife um, are investigated by the Secret Service and the FBI over allegations that they had made threats against President Reagan. You will not see this anywhere in the popular narratives because this doesn't fit the narrative of them being right wing extremists. extremists. Yeah. And I'm not sure where these threats supposedly came from but we'll see a little bit later on that vicky had a habit of writing very incendiary letters to government officials (laughs) (laughs) so that's probably what it comes down to but at that time they believed so is vicky a karen is that what i'm hearing (laughs) she is like she's like my mother-in-law on crack killed for being a karen (laughs) no um she's we'll talk about her a little bit more but we've already established she's very um She's deep into this prophetic stuff, deeply convinced it's happening mm-hmm. right then and the need to prepare for the apocalypse. And and we'll get into it a little bit more. But the, the FBI at the time believed that Randy was associated with the Aryan Nations, which was a white supremacist group who had a compound reasonably nearby. Because there's like no one on this mountain ridge, Randy had a habit of sometimes going over and having conversations with them over at the compound, sometimes going to one of their events. Um, He wasn't one of them. He wasn't part of them, but because he sometimes associated with them like a human would, who is alone on a mountain ridge with his family, with very few people around, he's very, very tied in with them as a, as as if he's complicit in every single thing that they ever preach which he his his daughter who talks about all this is very clear that he did not agree with them on all their stuff you, you wouldn't know that if you read npr though they're like he was <laughs> full of racist screeds and he was this white supremacist and he was awful and terrible and evil right and who knows it's it's a little bit unclear to me what's true and what's false because the lies about him have him have just become so ingrained Mm -hmm. in every report of the narrative i saw one article that said he was a self-described white separatist and if that's what he called himself that's fine but i watched pbs go basically he was a separatist like he wanted to live apart from society. And he was and white. he was white. Right, exactly. <laughs> I also want to be clear about this because we're going to be talking about a lot of people who I don't think it matters whether they were good or not. And right. I, I, I'll point this out later with the Branch Davidians yeah. especially. But 
there are a lot of people who will rightly look at these cases and be like, the government done them dirty. And then also be like, so therefore, David Koresh was wonderful and he didn't rape children. And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's okay to say, you know, Randy didn't deserve what happened to him. David Koresh and his group didn't deserve what happened to them. The government went beyond the Constitution and did some really shady, awful stuff. And also they don't have to be like shining, glowing, perfect figures. So after being investigated by the Secret Service, the FBI, local law enforcement, like they got jumped all over. Mm-hmm. for nothing um and nothing came of it no charges no nothing except that this really freaked them out and they filed an affidavit um that that said randy was giving quote legal and official notice that i believe i may have to defend myself and my family from physical attack on my life and he's referring to the FBI in this affidavit. So he's he's already letting the government know, like, I don't trust you've you've really crossed a line with me. I I think you're out to get me. Um, mm. this is all the way back in, in 1985. Yeah. That he has put this officially on the record that he thinks that they want to that they want to threaten his life, they want to take his life. Um, and he's it's not exactly wrong because it seems like from this point on the government just will not let him go right so in 1986 an undercover atf agent befriends randy in the context of the aryan nations event thing and after building trust with him for three years dang this mm mm-hmm they got nothing better to do. Oh, sorry. Just right. Sorry, go ahead. The, uh, right. the answer is no, they don't. The answer is that they've been sitting around this, this white supremacist compound for years trying to find something to get them on. If you read again, if you read like the BBC and NPR and all these people, they will say in the 1980s, the Aryan Brotherhood, also called the Order, was doing all these awful, terrible, horrible crimes that they don't name. Yeah. And they were like the worst terrorist group in the world. And it's like, but you like if they were where's the arrests where's the crimes listed where's this i'm not not saying these are good people i'm just saying like they're so evil and so terrible and scary and doing so many bad things that they have to go to a guy who's not a part of them and spend three years befriending him to try to infiltrate this group that apparently hasn't committed any crimes they can arrest them on it's just really weird stuff right um i'm i'm convinced Aryan nations would have turned out like waco if they had gotten anything on them ever Anything at all, right? Anything exactly. at all. But instead, they get something on Randy. So this undercover ATF agent, after befriending him for three years, in 1989, he offers to pay Randy um, for him to saw off a shotgun. So Randy saws off the shotgun. The ATF agent takes the shotgun back and then realizes that it's not sawed off far enough to get Randy properly in trouble so he brings the gun back and asks him to saw it off some more so he saws it off some more and then they use this against him it's a crime to saw off a shotgun he committed a crime um it's a federal crime the atf tried to use this to coerce him into becoming an informant against the aryan nations he refused so they decided to punish him for refusing to become an informant by indicting him for the gun crime that they were not going to indict him for which this is just shady like if 
if, if you want to indict is somebody, what it is. If you want to, yeah, well, it's entrapment, but it's also <clears> like, if a law is important, the law, don't just enforce it as a punishment for not doing your will and doing your bidding. This is also a law that was completely created by the ATF, as I mentioned earlier. The ATF right. said, oh, shotguns are legal. Wait a second. Let's write a part in there that says shotguns only are legal if their barrels are 18 inches or longer. Right. Which is the ATF's doing. So they make up a law outside of Congress and then enforce it when right. they want to punish certain individuals. It's, it's very stupid stuff. Yes. By the way, shotguns under 18 inches are not illegal if they're a pistol. You just can't make it a pistol. You can buy it as a pistol. You can buy a 12-gauge pistol all day, every day. No special licensing in most places. But if you make it a pistol, it's now very illegal. It's the stupidest crap in the world. But anyway, I, I, I don't want to rant too much about dumb gun laws. It's just not fair to the shotgun to saw it off. They're just trying to <laughs> justice for shotguns. Why would right. you damage it? Yeah. <laughs> so they indict him for this crime. And instead of just arresting him like normal law enforcement officers, they do this whole thing where they pose as stranded motorists and surprise attack and arrest him with his wife on the side of the road when he stops to help them. So again, enforcing with him this idea that they're just going to trick him. They can't be trusted. They already befriended and betrayed him. This, this guy he's been friends with for three years betrays him, right? And then they do this like trick thing on the side of the road after he's already said, I think that they're out to kill me. <laughs> I think that they want me dead. So, yeah. So a guy says, hey, I don't trust the government. And then the government says, oh, yeah. What if we befriend you for three years and betray you and then try to turn you into a snitch? And then when you out of the kindness of your heart, try to help a stranger, we will arrest you. Yeah. It's it's the, the mind games are absolutely insane. I wonder why now. this guy doesn't trust the government. Right. You know? <laughs> right. He's already a little kooky, right? And they just they just this, this is the thing though. This is the thing though, I think that is so true about this, right? Is they find a guy who's kooky who would have, by mm -hmm. all accounts, probably just screwed off in the woods somewhere and been right. fine. Been fine. Um, but no they knew he was anybody. just kooky enough that they could push him and they yeah. could gaslight him and they could turn him into a terrorist or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, let's see, let's see. So this freaks them out even more. And this is the point where Vicky sends a couple letters to the U.S. Attorney, Attorney General's office addressed to, quote, the servants of the Queen of Babylon. And <laughs> Okay, I do kind of like Vicky a little bit. <laughs> She's pretty cool. Um, and one of the lines from those letters says, whether we live or whether we die, we will not bow to your evil commandments. So Based. again, there's Based. this, <laughs> there's this like, they believe that the government wants them dead. And they mm. also believe that the government is evil. And, and this is the part where they get stupid, where they start to, instead of being like, they do start to do things where it's like, you are making this way worse for yourself by mm prodding the bear and 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 being rebellious and choosing to like there's not a well i'll i'll we'll point it out but okay it it's like you're making it worse for yourself without any perceivable benefit to yourself mm -hmm. which is tough to watch but that's this is where mm -hmm. they're at um i say the u.s attorney general guess who that was bill barr bill barr yeah <laughs> 
So the trial was set Do for we February. we bring up Bill Barr with the Epstein stuff? I feel like Bill Barr has been coming up for us a lot lately because he's also linked to Epstein. Mm. Anyway, sorry. Th this again cuts against this uh, right-wing extremist idea because this is George H.W. Bush is the president at this time, and she's writing this incendiary letter to, again, uh, a right-wing AG. Right. Well, because right wing is 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 um, code word, a dog. Can we use left wing terminology? It's a dog right. whistle for people who just don't trust the government as a whole. Right. It's so retarded. Right. And again, it's it's like it, it, this. We're going to also make some links later in the episode to our Clinton body count episode, because uh, obviously this involves Clinton and, and, and all that stuff. But one of the things that came up in that episode, too, was like there's these people in that being called right wing extremists. I can't remember the guy's name, but his whole thing was like, hey, I think that Reagan did this dirty thing with Iran Contra and I also think right. Bill Clinton killed people and right. I think that the government is pretending to be right and left wing so we you know we just ignore the fact that they're all in bed together it is a swamp and we, he called it the octopus and he's been labeled a right wing extremist forever even though his biggest thing wasn't even going after Clinton it was going after Reagan mm -hmm. right wing extremist though for like trying to take down Reagan right. <laughs> anyway so his trial um after, after this arrest, he, he uses his house as collateral for his bail. So he already knows if he loses the trial, he loses everything. His house which is putting him in this incredibly desperate position. The yeah. trial was set for February 19th. It was then moved to February 20th. But the letter that was sent to him from his probation officer said March 20th. So he missed his trial by accident because his probation officer was a piece of shit. Yep. Yeah. He was then classified as a few as a fugitive. And when he finds out that he's been classified as a fugitive because he missed his trial date by sheer accident. Instead, this is where I get frustrated with him. Instead of sending the letter from his probation officer and being like or showing up at the courthouse and being like, hey, I am so sorry. I was going to be there. This is what the letters that you sent me said. What can we do about it? He goes, Fuck you guys. I'm never going to leave my cabin. You're going to have to take me out. Yeah. Which is just the totally wrong move. But I understand <clears throat> that at this point, he's been he's been convinced that no matter what he does, the government wants him dead. It's kind of hard to blame him. Like, I get it. Yeah. Um, I get that he should have just, like, gone in and explained the whole thing. Right. Uh, but at this point they've gaslit him so much they've freaking yeah. like done everything to make him believe everything that he already believed he believed the government wanted to kill him and they just keep showing to him that they do want to kill him exactly and it looks to him after everything that this date thing was intentional and maybe it right. was honestly could be um okay so at this point he he's refusing to leave the cabin he's not going to come out for any reason He's been, in his mind, pursued by the government for like six years, since 1985. Mm -hmm. So things pass from the ATF to the U.S. Marshals. And the U.S. Marshals build up this whole terrifying narrative about him in their heads, about how he's this Vietnam veteran, and he's a Green Beret, and he's just this terrifying person. And he's, yeah, and yeah. he's... um he's got this huge stockpile of weapons and he's a white supremacist and he's evil and he <clears throat> hates black people and he he's just this total monster living out in the woods that they should be super scared of so they they walk into this with this ridiculous story in their heads 
Right. It's interesting that like both sides of this at this point believe something wildly false about the other side. Well, <laughs> sort I mean, of. does though, does Randy believe something wildly false about the government at this point though? That's, anyway, that's the tough part. It's debatable. It depends on who's calling the shots, right? Like, right. Are, are the marshals responsible? Yes, but <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So this surveillance team of U.S. Marshals goes onto his property um, in ghillie suits, like uh, undercover. They think they're going to get away with it. <laughs> they go onto his property, six of them, but the family dog finds them and starts barking at them. So they shoot and kill the dog. Yep. So Sammy Weaver, the 14-year-old son, all he knows is that there is a random stranger... In a ghillie his, suit. In a ghillie suit on his property that just killed his fucking dog. So he shoots back and then tries to run away. They shoot him in the back and kill him. The they, should a, they shoot a kid in the back after killing his dog. And this is a thing that needs to be stated again, is these were not officers who identified themselves. This was not a knock warrant. This was someone right. in a ghillie suit in your woods shooting at you. Right. There's no rational person who does not shoot back at this man. They claim None. that they shouted U.S. Marshals at some point. Who in this gives thing, a shit? Like, they, it doesn't who, matter. Who it's, gives it's a happening. shit? Yeah. Let's say they did. I don't give doesn't a rat's matter. ass. Some dude in a ghillie suit shot my dog and then right. claims to be a, a cop. <laughs> like, I don't care. Right. Like, what are you going to do? You had better show me a badge. <laughs> right. What if he is just a nut in a ghillie suit and he shouts that? And you're just like, oh, okay. Right. And what are you supposed to do? You just, yeah. So... After they, these random strangers in ghillie suits have shot both the dog and the 14-year-old kid, this member of the family, Kevin Harris, returns fire and shoots and kills Deputy Marshal William Deegan. He then gets away and goes and hides in the cabin with the rest of the family. And this is when this is where the siege begins. Yep. At this point, the FBI hostage rescue team is sent in, the HRT. They have a sniper. Um, what's his name? Lon oh shoot Shiriuchi. i have it pulled up somewhere um he's asian um, yeah, he's his his asian. first name's lawn and then his last name is harder to pronounce i think it's like hiriuchi hiriuchi lawn tomisha tomohisha horyuchi yep so there is a point at which this guy nice anyway randy and kevin try to go out of the cabin to retrieve Sammy's body from the barn. And the sniper shoots at them. Lon shoots at them. So, like, th they just go out to get the fucking 14-year-old kid's body, right? Yeah. This whole thing makes me so angry. Yes, and they should, shoot though, right? Randy, yeah. and, then they sh and then ostensibly, in this part, I have questions about... Yeah. They shoot that lawn shoots at Harris, but somehow accidentally hits Vicki Weaver in the face as she's standing in the door holding a baby. And that shot also hit Harris. And I'm and I'm really not sure who it hit first. Well, that's the thing. Everything about this is bullshit. Like when you read the official narrative, because right. they shoot it's 200 meters, which they make sound like it's a long distance. First of, all, it's not. First of all, it's not like in the military to qualify. You have to hit a target at 300 meters open sights, right? Yeah. Like any branch of the military, that's standard. So 200 meters with a sniper rifle is not a long shot. As it's a not, professional sniper. Yeah. 
No how, shit. It's like, that's not an yeah. accident. She's holding the door open as they're coming in. She's holding a baby. She gets shot in the face. And then the official narrative is that they didn't even know they killed her, right? Right. Right. Because which later, is, they're, yeah. Yeah. Which makes Calling the next part way name. worse. Yeah. The, the siege lasts a total of 11 days, in which time they're like, calling her name and taunting her and so randy's like they you, i know you killed my wife mm -hmm. and, and now you're just like being absolute monsters about it the official story that i read on again i don't remember what site it was but it said that the next morning they tried to bribe vicky to end the siege by offering her pancakes yeah. which is bullshit because what they really <laughs> did is they said hey randy would your wife uh, like to make some pancakes for your children? As in, we yeah. killed your wife and we're taunting you and making yeah. fun of the fact that yeah. we shot your wife in the face while she was holding your child. Yeah. And they're making all these jokes about, is she going to make you breakfast this morning? And then the official story, no, they were just saying that if she came out, they'd give her pancakes and they thought that was a, a effective negotiation tactic. It's so retarded. With a woman who sent a letter to VHE's office <laughs> right. calling them servants of the Queen of Babylon. Like, Pancakes, we're but definitely going to do it. But pancakes. <laughs> Gosh. So, so it's so insulting to everybody's intelligence, too, like that they think people are buying the fact. No, we just thought if we offered Vicky pancakes, she would like end the siege. Right. So stupid. So, siege lasts 11 days. A former commanding officer of Randy's is brought in and is able to talk him into surrendering. Randy's oldest daughter, who has said in interview, who has talked about all this in interviews pretty extensively, she says that she fully expected to be executed the minute they exited the cabin. Like they truly believed the minute they walked out, they were going to be gunned down. At this point, how wouldn't you though? Like how, you're, yeah. you're trying to retrieve your 14 year old son's body after a ghillie suited nut job shoots him and they're, right. they're shooting at you. In they the shoot back. your wife in the yeah. face when she's opening the door. Like at this, it doesn't seem like they're, they want to let you leave. Right. Right. Yeah. So, after all this went down, Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris were tried on a bunch of federal charges, all related to the siege. Um, Kevin Harris was acquitted of all charges, including the charge of killing Deegan, which is pretty Good. incredible. And then Weaver was acquitted of everything except missing his court date. And he was fined $10,000 and had to serve 18 months, which he had pretty much served all of it already. Um... You only had three months left. It was time served right. pl plus three months. I right. Think. Yeah. Sorry, I have to. What is that? Is that a dog or it's something? It's a dog. Yeah. Okay. Getting well, shot don't by shoot the ATF. It. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Don't let the ATF know. Jeez. Yeah. Sorry. I. Have, I. It gets real hot in this room, even in the winter. Sometimes I have to have the window <clears> open. Okay. So he. Uh, yeah. All that, which to me, after all this still seems like an incredible amount to pay for believing a letter from his probation officer. Yeah, no, he shouldn't have been fined at all for that, but, but, and with well, everything they did to the man, but I, yeah, yeah. it's wild. So in 1995, a couple years later, Weaver and mm. Harris both sued and uh, won a combined settlement of $3.1 million. Yeah. And then Harris had a separate suit later where he got like $350,000. i am not sure why Randy wasn't on that one, but th there was Maybe additional money. Maybe he didn't want to yeah. keep being keep. in court. You yeah. know what I mean? He's got enough money to like, hopefully right. this time live off grid and not be. Bothered. Right. In 1997, the sniper, Lon Hiriuchi, was indicted for the manslaughter of Vicky. 
Guess who offered him pro bono legal counsel? I know. Billiam Barr. Billiam Barr, the AG. <laughs> Bill Barr is instrumental in getting this case dismissed. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah. So l- later, it, it, you know how slow the government moves, right? Something happens and then like over the next 20 years, we see investigations where people are like, yeah, we kind of did some shit wrong here. Like right. investigations ensued, black eye for all the agencies involved. But internally, like they, they to the public, they put out all this. We're sorry. We're changing things. We're, we're redoing some of our like policies. We had never faced something like this before. So we learned from it. Don't worry. But internally, the U.S. Marshals gave their highest award for valor to the five surviving members of the surveillance team, including the one who shot the dog and the one who shot a 14 year old boy in the back. Got a medal of valor. Jeez, oh, Pete's. I didn't yeah. know that part of the story. But yeah, you yeah. did send this article here. Kill a boy, get a medal. Yep. Because <laughs> uh, what I had found is that none of, like, the, at most, I think um, Lon Horiuchi was, like, got, like, 14 days paid suspension at some point. Yeah. Or some shit. Like, there was, like, the sl- I slap on the wrist. I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. It was, or it was, like, some type of bullshit reprimand. Like, to the public, we said, bad. Uh, but then, you know, here's a medal. George H.W. Bush was president during this time, but it was an election year, and Clinton won. Uh, he, Clinton was the, the government, governor of Arkansas at the time. He won three months after the Ruby Ridge incident. Mm-hmm. And then we get to Waco. Waco, Texas. Waco. Which also sounds like a movie title. It is a movie Waco. title. Waco. Well, that's true. Or a Netflix series or something. Yeah. But. Okay. So, so PJ, the government, the ATF, the FBI, they all learned their lesson from the tragedy of Ruby Ridge and totally didn't do anything like that ever again, right? 100%. And they're right? not still doing stuff like that with like the right. fednapping hoax and shit. Because the government would never. Right? Ne- they would never. They can't even, as I pointed out earlier. (laughs) 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 Because the Constitution. (laughs) Six months after Ruby Ridge, we had a newly appointed U.S. Attorney General named Janet Reno. And she is just, she looks like a peach. I have a little photo of her here. I totally forgot to pull it up. Let me get Uh, it real quick. I don't have a little photo of her. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting it. She is a peach. Um, I saw this photo and I was like, wow. That's what you said. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> I mean, imagine, yeah. This it's is so funny why... because like most of most of my life, I've heard the name Janet Reno in connection with the Clinton scandals and I've listened to podcasts about Janet Reno, but it literally wasn't until this week that I ever like actually saw her face. It is not the woman I expected, you know? I mean, I was a kid when this stuff happened, so right. I never like thought to look at like, what does Janet Reno look like? <laughs> oh, damn. Will that. Ferrell played Janet Reno on SNL. Ah! And they, it was, I mean, who could tell the difference except Will Ferrell's a little taller. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so this is where the Branch Davidians come into play. So the Branch Davidians were a cult outside of Mm. Waco, Texas. They had a compound they called Mount Carmel. They were led by David Koresh. 
And this cult was very, very loosely related to the Christian Seventh-day Adventist church. They were an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot. It, they started in the Seventh-day Adventist church and through a couple different generations of people and, and weird leaders and weird teachings got to where they, they got. Yeah, they had their own like messiahs and prophets. And I think David right. Kresh was the third of the prophets of the yeah, branch. Something Davidians. like that. And he kind of, there's were, like this, we're, we're not going to go into it all, but like there's this whole thing about him like banging an 80 year old woman to like sleep his way into a position yep. of power and then like stealing the church out from under like the other the, prophets. The widow like of the, thing. yeah, he was sleeping with the widow of the former leader <clears throat> to get power. Was. Yeah. So they ostensibly believed in God in the Bible, but just very, very twisted. Um, David Koresh had a very egocentric interpretation of Revelation prophecy, which I heard some analysis on this. And mm -hmm. so I want to draw this comparison real quick because it's a lot of us fall into that like egocentric interpretation of Revelation to some extent. I think we've, we even do it now in our defense, it, really does feel like it's happening in our lifetime but like you well, read we also Revelation. try to point out things that are like hey look the right. pieces are on the board that weren't before and i think right. a lot of people are recognizing like there are, there is prophecy in the end times about israel israel wasn't a country before 1947 right. you know um the gospel will be spread throughout the world. Like there's things coming true. There's a war that's prophesied and stuff like that. Right. So like, I, I get that, but I do understand what you're saying. Some people make it where it's like, um, everything is about America. It has nothing right. to do with Israel. It's very egocentric to Americans right. at times. So, I mean, so egocentric in the sense of you assume that it's about your time, you assume mm. that it's about your country. And then, and then some people take it further to assume that they're part of it. They're characters in it. This is what David Crash does. He, believed himself to be an anointed biblical revelation figure. He did not think he was Jesus, but he did mm. think he was a lesser Messiah figure. He believed he was the, the lamb from revelation who was slain and received power. I'm just going to point out that's Jesus. That is Jesus. But he didn't think that was Jesus. I know, but it, it is. <laughs> I, I do think it's important to, to divide that. out. He that. did not think he was Jesus. He thought, he thought he was this lamb character who wasn't Jesus, and he thought he was the seventh angel who blows the last trumpet. He he referred to himself as like a lesser messiah or a sinful messiah. He he was open that he was he was a sinner. He wasn't pretending to be God. He wasn't pretending to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But this is he believed <laughs> that he's the lamb and the angel, and he believed he was supposed to father. 24 children who were going to be the 24 elders of Revelation. So he really did have a, a wildly inflated view of his own importance in Revelation. Not enough for him to be just even one character in Revelation. He has to yeah. be like three characters. Um, I'm not, look, guys, I'm not Jesus, but I am the lamb who is slain. Who is Jesus? <laughs> but I'm not Jesus. <laughs> So what's that, what's he, that movie? He's like, it's not a bribe. I'm just offering you money to look the other way. It's not a bribe. <laughs> the other guys, that's in the movie. Anyway, go ahead. That's David Koresh in a nutshell. <laughs> he, um, in order to try to father these 24 children, which he did not succeed in doing, um, he got pretty close though. I think he got up to like 18 if you, if you count miscarriages. Okay. Um, but he married multiple women to try to achieve this, including underage girls. Um, and in Texas, it is legal to get married at 14 with parental permission. However, he wasn't marrying them officially. 
it was like informal common law marriages. So it was this murky case where local law enforcement like knew about it, but they decided that they couldn't charge him with bigamy because there wasn't a paper trail of the marriages, but they couldn't charge him with rape because they were common law marriages. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So like it's, and I can kind of see it in terms of the legal system. If you charge him with one, they could see what the defense would be. The law is murky on banging 14-year-olds, but it's not murky on 17-inch shotgun barrels. This is something that I think Republicans are really, really, really fucking stupid about. Yeah, what's that? Um, the, the underage marriage thing. Because yes, we, we try to make this case that no one under the age of 18 should be able to cut their boobs off or have any type of gender surgery because that's, you know, gender mutilation because they can't consent. And then we refuse, our lawmakers refuse to take down these laws that allow for marriage before I, the age of 18. I agree, but I also think that the problem with the whole transgender surgery thing is that we're trying to be the libertarians about it, which well, is a retarded yes, way to do it. Like, I, I, get, I agree with what you're saying, somewhere. but what my point is... Yeah, but my point is when the whole the whole argument just then becomes, well, when you're 18 and you're in college and your professor has brainwashed sure. you, then you can mutilate yourself forever. And the doctors can do irreversible mutilations to you, and that's fine because you're an adult. And it's a retarded argument. Like, the argument has to stop being, well, it's only bad if you're under 18. Because then we'll sure. look at – then the argument becomes, well, you know, what about the kid who went through the wrong puberty? Because you're accepting the false premise – and then the argument actually goes for the other side, which is actually be better. It'd be more humane to mutilate right. the kid at eight years old instead of 18. And obviously, I don't disagree with you. But when we refuse oh, no, I was, to take down these yes. these underage marriage laws, we completely undercut the argument that we are making. And I think that the I agree. We're both we agreeing. Mean, I'm just yeah. saying that the argument against the trans thing is the wrong argument. But yes, sure. we should be. We should. We can't say you can't mutilate yourself to 18, but you can get married at 14. It's right. retarded. Right. I 100% agree with you. <laughs> um, I, I get so mad every time I see a leftist uh, like pointing out that one of that our lawmakers in another state failed to do another law. I'm like, why are we doing this? In what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it should not be legal in Texas to get married at 14 with your parents' permission because Agreed. we have well established that parents are evil sometimes yes. and marry their 14-year-olds off to people like David Crash. Yeah. So really, really disgusting. Yep. Okay. So again, we hit this, this, this false binary argument, right? Where... Mm-hmm. We're going to say that the government was really, really, truly, truly evil in this situation. And that is not to say in any way that David Koresh wasn't also an absolute demon. Yes. And again, this is what bothered me. We're going to bring up clips later from Waco and Waco 2, the Wacoing or whatever the freaking weird (laughs) title is for these documentaries. But my problems with them wasn't that they didn't have a lot of great stuff. And we'll show you what I think is, is, is good in them and not. But like... It's that they felt the need to make David Koresh not a bad guy. And it, it, it really right. pissed me off because they undercut their own argument in Waco 2 where they said, oh, the government said he was banging 14-year-olds. I'm like, there was a 14-year-old who went on the witness stand to say that he raped her. Right. Like, we don't have to make David Koresh a good guy. Right. Uh, and they'll be like, oh, they said this about his beliefs. I literally listened to podcasts this week where they're like, they said this about David Koresh's beliefs, and I don't know where they got that from, like from his own tapes. Like he literally was on the phone with 
negotiators like yeah. laying out his beliefs for the world and we have those tapes now so like we're not going to get into all of it but my of point shit. is he's a piece of shit yeah. and, a, and a and a child rapist and he's yeah. not a good guy that doesn't make what the government did all right and i think right. that that's an okay place to be we can say that and I, I think it's also fair to say that local law enforcement could have avoided a lot of this problem by not being pussies about the situation it was yeah. their job to they let the ball drop yeah they could have protected these girls and they didn't mm -hmm. um because it was too hard it was too murky okay well, did you want to talk about the affidavit? Because I feel like that rolls right into to what I wanted to say with that. Or, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not trying to cut you off. Well, okay, I got I have a little bit before that. All right. So child abuse allegations start going around. The media starts building this narrative out um, about because the Branch Davidians had been very respected in their community, and slowly the media begins to tear that down. Um, they spread around the child abuse allegations. They they spread around different rumors and things. Some of some of which were true, right? Um, but the child abuse allegations. This was physical child abuse, not nothing about the underage girls. So CPS did an investigation uh, starting in February 1992, and then after the initial investigation, they continued to do surprise spot checks and never found anything. Never found marks on the kids never found any kids reporting any like they never found any evidence that there right. was any physical child abuse happening so they formally closed the investigation on april 30th 1992 of all the things that i think are bad about the british davidians i do believe that they were not actually physically abusing kids the, sexually the claim, yes the claim but. was from a uh, someone who left the cult who said david crush was punching babies uh, which is retarded. Like I don't exactly. think he, I don't he, for every bad thing he did. There's no evidence that, that was not a thing that was that was sure. happening. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this the community the 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 Branch Davidian community operated a booth at gun shows. So they were mm. legally a gun seller. Yep. They kept an inventory just like any gun seller, but they didn't sell out of their compound. They so, they sold out of these gun shows and they would do um, kind of some like cutesy stuff. They would do like dummy grenades or they would kit out um, like vests or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they would alter guns in, in interesting ways. And, yeah. Tactical stuff. So a UPS driver was delivering and he saw the dummy grenades somehow like either they fell out of the box or the box came open or whatever and he reports that there are grenades <laughs> they're dummy grenades but he reports grenades so the atf comes in and from you, the very you wouldn't be able to tell by the way because right. usually dummy grenades are actually decommissioned right. grenades like they're right. metal still yeah but why a ups driver is like trying to tattletale on whatever he's delivering i don't know so this is when the ATF gets involved. And from the very minute the ATF gets involved, they decide it's like guilty until proven guilty. It's mm -hmm. they in the same way as, as with Randy Weaver at Ruby Ridge. It's like once the government gets its claws into it, they don't just, they're not going to ever let him just be innocent. They are going to have him for something. The ATF just being the ATF is what it is. Right. So 
uh, Crush becomes aware that the ATF suspects him of, of these gun violations. So he invites them to come to the compound and inspect everything. He's very like open about it. He knows they're all on the up and up. He knows everything about what they're doing is legal. But the ATF refuses to come and inspect anything, saying that, you know, they, they're just going to hide what they're mm -hmm. doing. So, like, we could we could go prove your innocence, but we know you're guilty, so we wouldn't be able to prove your innocence. Exactly. They That's tried what to it is, right? Yeah. They tried to pull that the same type of thing with with people coming to them with illegal guns and and the branch Davidians are like, Yeah, those are illegal, so yeah, we don't want anything to do with that. We're not gonna touch that. And they're like, darn it. And they try to do this multiple times. And more entrapment. Yeah. More attempts at entrapment, but like the branch Davidians just like stay above it. Um, and then they notice all this obvious surveillance with helicopters. The ATF sets up the, in this house across the street and pretends to be college students, but it's like super obvious that they're not college students. And they try to send over a plant to like attend cult meetings and surveil the cult. And like Koresh knows he's an ATF plant and he's still like welcoming yep. to Rodriguez, him. right? Yeah. When Rodriguez left, he like almost was like drawn in. Like he was almost... <laughs> He almost became a cult member. There's like an interview where he's like, yeah, I was pretty sure that David Kresh was the, the lamb <laughs> was in, the, the in lamb. Revelations. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're at the affidavit. So let's let's talk about it. All right, so yeah, there's this affidavit and there's a lot of things. I'm not going to, here it is. You can find it. You can read it. There's a warrant. And it's, it's public record um, and it's very long. So I'm going to try to sum up the important things about this. You brought up some of them, which is that they're trying to say that it's illegal guns and we have all this proof because there's a dummy grenade and that's in there and blah, blah, blah. There's things in here that are just make me not believe at all that they act that the Branch Davidians actually committed any gun laws. At right. most, they had them on being late with a paperwork for a, exactly. for a rifle. That was the or worst something like that. And, thing and that I'm did. not even sure I believe that because... There's something in this affidavit, or it's either, it's either this affidavit or the, the search warrant or something like that, that says uh, they were selling uppers and lowers for AK-47s. Mm -hmm. And any of the gun people in the chat are like, what the hell is it? <laughs> like, that's not a thing. Because <laughs> it's a solid body gun. There's no upper and lower. That's an AR-15 that has an upper and lower. So like right. the ATF, who's supposed to be gun experts, is like saying, oh, they're selling illegal uppers for AK-47s. It's not even a thing, right? So right. it's like, I already don't trust it. Also... They say, uh, it, you know, to get a warrant, they say that he's abusing children. That's not the ATF's purview. It was actually handled by local police. As you said, they dropped the ball on right. maybe not the child abuse thing, right? Like, I don't, right. I'm not sure that there's any evidence for that. But exactly. they also claim that he's, you know, having uh, statutory rape. Yeah. Again, not in the ATF's purview. Uh, and they also claim that he's running a meth lab, which, again, is not in the ATF's purview. So the only thing that the ATF could possibly get him on is that he is a legal gun manufacturer and seller, and he might have been laid on paperwork for a short barrel rifle, right. and he's selling illegal gun parts that don't exist and has dummy grenades. <laughs> it's so it's it's completely it's freaking retarded. retarded. It's completely retarded. They lie out their ass to get this warrant, right? Uh, and it's well, very obvious that they're going yeah. to find a way to make these people an example. Here's an um, example of yeah. like one of the most obvious lies. They say in the affidavit that a neighbor had reported machine gun fire. This had already been investigated and already confirmed that it was not machine gun fire. It was something else. They like they knew it wasn't that and they put it in there anyway. Yeah, it's literally in this affidavit. 
you can read about it. And then they also are like, oh, and this one dude um, that lives there, he was arrested on a, a bag of pot in 1987 <laughs> or some shit. And it's like, who cares? Pot? Like, come on. No, it's yeah. in there. It just says illegal substance. It's like one dude like had, one was, dude with was, pot. had a crime in a cult. Pot. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, it has the thing about the AT the UPS driver is in here. It's mm -hmm. it's it's long. It's stupid. They don't have jack shit in mm -hmm. order to do what they do. Um, but again, if you listen to like most mainstream podcasts, just a podcast or something, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, they're gun manufacturers and they're selling illegal guns," and they you right. know, had some reason. It's like I don't buy any of that crap again because like even the stuff they supposedly had them on is at most late paperwork for a rifle, which is like fix it. Um, yeah. And with them being that heavily scrutinized, I'm kind of doubting that that even is true. Right. It. Yeah. So the ATF plans to serve these warrants. They plan this raid to serve the warrants, even though there was absolutely no indication that a raid was necessary. Like Crush has been completely cooperative. There's no indication of like any belligerence. It's not like Ruby Ridge where Randy Weaver is being belligerent in his distrust of the government and writing in his, you know, no one's writing letters to the attorney general. There's like, they're all welcoming. They're all open. They're all, they all know that they're not breaking any laws. And so at this point they still trust the government. They're like, we think it's weird. You're surveilling us like this, but we're gonna, we're gonna be calm about it. But mm -hmm. they, they plan this raid anyway. And it's the same thing. They build up this whole, like, these are evil, evil child abusing people who are super dangerous and they have lots of guns and we have to like, we have to go in with like heavily armed and, and even though there's no indication that, that that's the case, they just build up this narrative about the branch Davidians in their minds as if that they're this uh, militia that's super dangerous. Right. I'm but also, they, I'm sorry, I'm looking at this thing really quick, and it says they had 104 AR-15 rifles. And the common thing you'll hear is that they were stockpiling. Yeah. And it's like, how many members are here? Over 100. You have a gun per person, maybe? Right. And How's they're selling the guns. Like, this is that's the other thing mm -hmm. I just want to clear up. They're not stock... Like, I, first of all, hate the idea it's of stockpiling. It's an inventory. Yeah. It's such a retarded, like, concept. It's like, oh, they're stockpiling. He had 1,000 rounds. It's like, yeah, who doesn't? drop a thousand rounds at a day on the range. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. stockpiling thing is always retarded. But if you just read the actual affidavit here, the amount of guns that they say he has is like not that impressive for yeah. like the fact that they're gun sellers. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, along with this raid, another thing that's super damning is this, this, the media that's been on their side prepping the community. It's like the media has been preparing the community this entire time for what's about to go down. And it's clear that the media has been hand in glove with the ATF this entire time. And they, the media is tipped off that this raid is going down so they can document it to make the ATF look cool. Because this whole thing is about making the ATF well, cool. When did this take place? Though That's the other important fact of this. This took place six days into the Randy Weaver trial. So the ATF needs to look cool on television right yep. now because they have a huge black eye for shooting a pregnant woman holding a baby. Yep. So this whole, like, like everybody and their mother said, like, David Koresh would jog every morning. David Koresh mm -hmm. would go to town all the time. And the later excuse was we had to raid the compound because we, were, we believed that he was going to hold up in there and he was never going to leave. 
even though that's not what Rodriguez said, even though, again, they live across the right. road and seem jogging at 6 a.m. every single day. He goes up, plays gigs with his band. Like, yeah, it's the, the whole it's a lie is my point. Like they wanted to look cool on TV. Mm -hmm. So one of these reporters who knew the raid was happening accidentally tipped off a cult member who went and warned David. Mm -hmm. He literally David's like brother-in-law or one of one of his brothers-in-law, whatever. Um, because he has a lot of them. Are they all his brothers? And I mean, I don't. How does that work when you yeah. tell your entire c congregation that your wives are now belong to me? Um, because that is what he did. <laughs> he was slave with every person, pretty there's much, wife and yeah. their daughters. I don't know how you like are okay with that as a man in a community like that, but whatever. Um, because he's not Jesus, but he kind of is. But he kind of is Jesus. Yeah, he's. Well, that's the thing. He's not Jesus, so he can sleep with your wife. Because if he was Jesus, he couldn't sleep with your wife. But he is the Messiah, kind of. But he's not, because <laughs> he can sleep with your wife. Yeah, I know, it's retarded. <laughs> that's, that's why he's not Jesus, so he can sleep yeah. with your wife. That's the only reason why he didn't want to be Jesus. Um, <laughs> so this whole team gets there. This F, you know, the FBI, everybody, everybody's there, right? ATF, mm. FBI, whoever else is involved. We'll talk about that later. And it's unclear what exactly happens at this point because they're supposed to not even go in unless they have the element of surprise, but they lose the element of surprise. Well, yes. Okay. So according to the treasury records, yes, the, the whole plan was that they had to have the element of surprise, right? Right. But they weren't given a no-knock warrant. They right. were given a knock warrant. They were given right. a warrant saying, you can knock on the door and say, David Koresh, please come out. We're arresting you. We're going to investigate right. you. There was no no-knock warrant raid, raid. Or, or, or warrant given. But all of the months of planning for this raid show that they were planning to kick in the doors and take people, which right. was, they weren't allowed to do. Right. So like the whole idea of like people always talk about the element of surprise, it's like, that shouldn't have mattered in a in a knock search warrant. Right. But they needed it. Like the, their instructions of for the team were that they yes. weren't going to go in without the element of surprise, but then they did. So they start off by breaking the law is my point. Like the yes. ATF has no, like as much as people want to be like, who, we'll get to it. Like who fired first, blah, blah, blah. They were breaking the law from get from go. From the first second. From the very first, from the very start. Yeah. So the, the, do they knock? What do they do? Every, everything's confusing from here. I don't think they even really claim to knock. So, like, let's talk about this. Like, they will say later on that they went up to the door. You know, they were, again, the video footage that is that survived, and we'll talk about that in a second, shows them breaking windows and throwing in flashbangs first. Mm -hmm. um, they're claiming that they went up there, guns drawn, and all of this stuff, and that David Crush met them at the door. And then that's kind of where they agree is that David Crush meets them at the door, right? Right. But then it's like, well, who fired first, right? And it's the ATF is saying that the Branch Davidians slammed the door shut, fired through the door at them. Right. And then the Branch Davidians are saying, no, David Kresh came out and said, we have men and women, in ch or we have women and children here. Let's talk this out. And then shots start ringing and they slam the door shut. And right. David Kresh is what, shot in the hand and in the side or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So the question is, do, do the bullets, <clears throat> you, and, and this should be an easy question to answer, PJ. Should um, be. D does the door show, the metal door, show that the bullets are coming this way or this way? 
that would be the piece of evidence that is absolutely necessary to have. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's so, two. So there's two doors. What is it? There's two doors. Uh huh. Uh huh. There's the left door and the right door, and it's a you know metal doors. Again, I'm going to point out that they're metal doors for the a, a few times for this reason. A, the one door survived, and they have it in evidence. Two, the other door did survive, and they had it in evidence, and then it was gone from evidence, along with the video footage of the front door and what happened there, all missing from the evidence locker. So That's weird. not contested. So that strange. just is fact. And then, who? fires through a metal door from inside like when like you're legitimately, right next to it right legitimately like, you who would slams would a metal door shut and then fires, fires through the it. freaking door anyone who no knows, one no one would do that no one would because they'd this. be scared of the ricochet right the only so. people who would so. do that the, the only people who would do that are people who are far enough back that they're not worried and about outside. the ricochet yeah, yeah, not worried about ricochet inside of a building. Yeah. 100%. You know, people who have big shields and armor and right. all this and helmets and all this stuff. Right. Um, so but it's, the early it's reporting, pretty obvious that they that the ATF fired first. 100%. And, and I want to look at the early reporting because the early reporting also shows this. And we have some of that here. And what she's going to bring up a few articles. I did fact check that these articles exist and read them and everything that they say. This is from Waco to the – it's not Electric Boogaloo, apparently. It's <laughs> Waco to the big lie continues. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just want to watch like a minute of this because this is the back and forth and it kind of just shows like, yeah, the ATF definitely fired first. Yeah. In one of the first Associated Press newspaper reports that came across the wire services on February 28th, John McLemore is quoted as saying, they came right in, parked right by the front door and made a frontal assault on the building. Another article across the AP wires on February 28th said that, According to witnesses, federal agents hid in livestock trailers as they drove up to the compound. As three National Guard helicopters approached, the 100 law officers stormed the main home, throwing concussion grenades and screaming, Come out! There is no mention of any barrage of gunfire from the Branch Davidians in these first reports. And in actuality, the Branch Davidians reacted the way any American would react when his home was broken into by armed terrorists. Anyway, I don't, I don't know what else she says, right. um, but that's the part I wanted to show, right? Is like none of the early reportings from the AP or anyone else said they came in under a barrage of gunfire. They said they drove up in cattle trailers, they threw flashbangs through the window and then said, come out. That sounds like right. an assault to me. And if right. somebody's breaking your windows and throwing grenades into your room full of women and children... Right. You're probably firing back. It's kind of like. Oh, wait, like, no, I, I did have more from this video, but go okay. ahead. The only thing I, th I think that, that maybe the Branch Davidians did wrong here is meet them at the door with guns. Because, like, this is what happened, right? They, they got a tip off that the raid was coming. And so they're already inside that door with their guns because they're like, what the fuck? Supposedly, yeah, yeah. Um, but but also, if they're already throwing flashbangs and it's coming across like an attack, I can see them all just going and picking up their guns instead of like act, ha be having them from the get-go. It depends on who you talk to, because I think David Thibodeau said that they were not armed and ready for a, a conflict. Gotcha. Um, but again, and David Thibodeau says a lot of stuff, and I, sure. I, I don't know what I believe of his, but he also says like... People were being shot at from helicopters, which was apparently not a thing. They, anyway, there is something interesting here, more proof that the Branch Davidians probably were not the ones to fire first, and that's that they called the police saying, there's people shooting at us. Oh, my God. They first called the police. They dialed 911. 911, what's your emergency? There are men, 75 men around our building okay, just, shooting at us. Okay, just a moment. 
In the tape recordings of these conversations, Holy, I'm just gonna say, like, you don't call 911 if you think 911's shooting at you. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you're like, I don't know, but it's just weird, right? Like, right. someone in the building is calling saying, "There's people outside shooting at us. Please help, right. police." Wow. So I mean, I, I don't know. It's weird. Um, he also, I, he also goes on to say, like, "Look, we got men, women, and children here." I think maybe he does know that he's calling the police and that the police are the ones outside. But he's like, "You're shooting at us, and there are women and children in here who yeah. are getting shot and killed." Yeah. And maybe wow. you don't know that, but like, stop shooting at a building full of women and children, essentially. So. Wow. Anyway. Um, when do they shoot the dogs? Because they shoot the dogs. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about them shooting the dogs. So, um, the the official story later becomes that they didn't shoot the dogs. That they sprayed um, fire extinguishers at the dogs, and an. The story changes a lot on a lot of things, a lot of evidence destroyed. But essentially, right after this raid happens, a ATF agent himself says to, to PBS, I think, where is that? I have it here. It says, uh, he, this is a quote from, from him. He says, this is a quote from PBS. It says, right after the raid, however, one ATF agent told an investigator that a fellow agent may have shot first when he killed a dog outside of the compound. The agent later retracted the statement saying that the Branch Davidians had initiated the gunfire. So initially the atf themselves are saying yeah we shot first we killed their dogs yeah. um again both 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 these start the same way atf comes in and decides to shoot your freaking dogs uh there's also um video there's some footage that's left over of like people on a roof and we're not going to play all of it but like there's no gunfire until after windows are broken and flashbangs are thrown right. in from any surviving uh any surviving footage that that didn't disappear from an evidence locker so I don't, at this point, it's like, I don't really care if the Branch Davidians fired the first bullet, considering you're breaking in their windows on a, without a, without a proper warrant and throwing flashbangs into rooms full of women and children. Like, it's kind of hard to blame them entirely for like defending themselves. And I think they were found innocent later of defending themselves in this situation, like yeah. legally, right? Um, yeah, yeah anyway, a, sorry, a long firefight ensued, a very long firefight ensued, and four ATF agents died we're going to talk about that a little bit more later and then six bridge davidian members died in this fire firefight after which uh the 51 day siege begins right um we've talked about missing evidence there's more items of missing evidence we're just not going to go into like every single detail but like there's pages from logs and pieces of surveillance video and like obviously the door or one of the doors the only one that had bullet holes in it there's also um uh shell casings um what am i trying to say cs we'll get we'll talk about the cs gas later but that's also another piece of missing evidence that kind of resurfaced years mm, later okay um but yes there's everybody's agreeing i wanted to save the door thing for later because it sure. I want to come back to, let me put it this way. I want to come back to the door thing because it's going to come up with something else. Right. Uh, I think. Well, let me just show it now. So okay. here's an article. We'll just talk about it now because we already brought it up. So here's an article from the Austin Chronicle, and this is in 2000, August 18, 2000. It says, on June 26th, a trooper with the Department of Public Safety, Sergeant David Keyes, took to the witness stand. Uh, he says he guarded the entrance to Mount Carmel on the afternoon of April 19th. So the initial raid that you're talking about is in February. April 19th is the final raid where right. it all ends, right? 
And he said that uh, he was directing traffic and stopping fire trucks from getting there. So there's evidence. Again, that's why I wasn't going to bring it up yet. It's because we're going to talk about the, the fire and the raid on the compound. Sure. But one of the things that was said is, hey, you know, they didn't even try to put out this fire. They didn't even try to save lives. And in fact, here's one deputy saying, yeah, I was actually told to redirect fire trucks. He also goes on to say, uh, let me see where it is. He saw two men loading a large object in the back of a U-Haul truck that left. At one time, there was two of them working together, carrying something large. Uh, they came to the building where it used to be and put it in the back of the U-Haul. Uh, he asked if it was as big as a door leading to the room we're sitting. It was as big or bigger. Uh, and this has to go with questions about the missing right-hand door um, because the FBI supposedly lost that one right-hand door that would have shown whether it went in or out. So that's his his thing is like, I think I saw them loading in the door, but everybody's agreeing that they did have both doors. And then the FBI later is trying to say, no, one of the doors burnt up, one of the metal doors burnt up in the fire that we definitely didn't want to be put out because we're stopping fire trucks from coming in right. and putting out the fire. So. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of what I was going with that. So, but before the fire, we have this 51 day siege. Yeah. During which Koresh was allowing anyone in the compound who wanted to leave to leave. So, over mm -hmm. the course of the siege, over 30 people left safely. And then during this, psychological warfare tactics were employed against them loud music, all kinds of mind games, all kinds they literally of. literally playing shit. like rabbits being killed, like yeah. sounds of rabbits being killed and shining lights on them all night and right just making it complete hell for them and, and david koresh felt that god was telling him not to surrender yet and he was he was like what am i supposed to do and then he was like oh, okay god i'm i'm the lamb who's supposed to take the seals or whatever so what i'm supposed to do is that i'm supposed to write this document expounding on explaining the meaning of the seven seals of revelation and so he and, and then i can surrender so he tells the negotiator this is what God's telling me to do. This is what I'm going to do as soon as, holy shit, Nick Gordo, thank you so much for the wow. Rumble Rant. $100 Rumble Rant from Nick Gordo. Dang, thank you so much for supporting the show, Nick. Uh, means, really means a lot. Means a lot. Really means does. Means a lot. Um, and he sent a little a little heart with it. That was Aww. There was no comment, just a little heart. Um, um because he's so i i can only take that to mean he's so he loves david's plan about the seven seals of revelation um nick that's gordo the is a up. branch davidian confirmed, <laughs> confirmed. But we will take your money so thank you nick. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah he communicates to the, to the negotiator this is what he's gonna do he's gonna he's gonna finish his document and then he's gonna surrender and they know this like mm -hmm. he told the negotiator this is the plan and then regardless of this communication from david he's the, the fbi after 51 days of siege uses tanks to poke holes in the compound and dump in tear gas which happens to be super flammable and then suddenly the whole compound goes up in flames super mysteriously super mysteriously super mysteriously we have a picture of it just completely engulfed it went up so quickly that only mm. nine people inside were able to get out. Yes. Um, and this whole thing was framed as a as a suicide pact. And 
The only piece of evidence for it being suicide is that some of the burnt bodies were found with bullet holes in, in the roof of the mouth because they were yeah, didn't want to burn alive. Like they mercy who, killed themselves. I was going to say, like, who wouldn't if you couldn't get right. out of a burning building and you had a gun, you probably like, would bite you that would bullet. Fucking, yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever been in a house fire. I've been in two. It's not fun. It's awful right. and terrifying. And if I was trapped inside of one, I could see that being right. a merciful end to what that right. is. Um, yeah, so, sorry. Being trapped inside of a burning house is awful. Yeah. The fire uh, killed 76 people. Um, fire slash bullets, but it was the fire, right? Killed 76 people, including 25 children and two pregnant women. In yeah. a press conference afterward, President Bill Clinton defended their choice to escalate, blaming the Branch Davidians for lighting the fire, saying some religious fanatics murdered themselves. Mm. Yeah, um, even though the fires didn't break out till noon and they started the raid before that. Um, there's a whole lot of evidence here. Do, do we want to talk about the, the evidence for them possibly? Yeah, take it away. Okay, so like... We're not even going to play this audio because it's worthless, but there is audio that is out there saying, look, here are sound bites of them saying things that sound like they're starting a fire. And it's all sentence fragments. Like, let me put it this way. If you could find me one single sentence that sounds anything like we're going to kill ourselves in a fire, cool, send it to me. But it doesn't exist, and this whole place was bugged. They had right. an informant. This place was bugged. They're watching it, wiretaps. And all they have is a guy saying, we're moving the kerosene for our lanterns, and we spilled some. And then right. another guy saying, no, don't start a fire there or right. something like that, which doesn't mean anything in a building that's like, again, they've got kerosene lamps and, and it's a whole and compound. Other, it's yeah. a compound, right? So they're only pieces of evidence is one guy saying, oh, I accidentally spilled some kerosene as I was moving it. And another guy yeah. saying, hey, don't start a fire. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And again, don't start a fire, not do start a fire, which is like <laughs> kind of the whole thing that they're claiming they did. Nothing also, nobody sounds... who survived said there was a yeah. suicide pact. Yada, yada, yada. Literally um, no indication that they had any intention of dying. None at all. But they did pump CS gas into a, into a compound full of children, which CS gas is illegal to use in war, by the way. You can only use it in America on Americans. And even then, you're only supposed to use it outside. Uh, but they poured it into a, into a building full of women and children saying, well, we thought that would make them come out. But again, the survivors who came out said, we thought they would shoot us the moment we came out the right. building because guess what? They were shooting at us during this whole thing. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with this. There's like FLIR video we can talk about who started the fire. The whole thing is just nuts. But like, where do, where do we want to start? I've got a few things I want to pull up. So it's all you, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking. I just have so many different avenues to go down with this. There's a lot Let's of different pieces video. of Let's interesting Let's talk about the FLIR video yeah, for a second. For so there's a lot of different evidence that, that they did, but I want to point out the FLIR video first because um, the, the claim also from the FBI was that they never fired at them. In fact, they had loudspeakers on the tanks, and the tanks were just going up and poking holes, mm -hmm. and the holes being poked in were so they could pump in CS gas. Then they later said that we used CS gas grenades um, from a M203 grenade launcher, and those are not incendiary. And then it came out in 1999 that they actually used CS gas rockets, which are incendiary. So actually, let's start there. I'll get back to the flare video stuff in a second. They did claim that they used CS gas grenades. Um, and uh, let me see here. 
Janet Reno had to, in 1999, admit that she found out that they were using rockets that, again, full of gas that would have possibly set off this compound. Mm -hmm. So that it was very possible that they did it. What I find really interesting about this is there are videos about the, her admitting to this from the Associated Press. Mm -hmm. And every single video I found cuts out an important sentence. So listen to where it starts. This is the beginning because um, you can see there's fire and then it's her talking. Listen and, and watch, the, watch the edit here. This event was a sort of a, a, uh, a it is absolutely See that cut? critical. It cuts yeah. out his question and where she starts. That we do everything humanly possible to learn all the facts as accurately as possible and make them available to the public and Congress. Prior to April the 19th, I received assurances that the gas and its means of use were not pyrotechnic. Since then, I have consistently been told that no pyrotechnic devices were used. She's shaking. I will shaking. continue to yeah. pursue this matter to get to the truth. She's lying. That is why Director Free and I. Have so anyway, this clip, if, where it cuts in at, it makes her look like she wants to find out the truth, and you know, it's 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 totally that. And notice it said it started off with nonetheless, it is absolutely critical that we do everything humanly possible. That's where it started in that clip. Every clip mm -hmm. that I could find, but here from the White House. <laughs> <laughs> There's the whole clip from the, the whole statement from Janet Reno says, I am very troubled by the information I received this week suggesting that pyrotechnic devices may have been used in the early morning hours of April 19th, 1993 at Waco. At this time, all available indications that the devices were not directed at the main wooden compound uh, were discharged several hours before the fire started and were not the cause of the fire. <laughs> so they're covering their ass that they were literally doing something that very well could have caused, could have caused the fire. The fire. The other claim from uh, th from the FBI was that they were not shooting at the compound during this raid. They were just going in and they were just poking holes to put CS gas in. But we, then we right. found out we were lying about how they put the CS gas in. They were firing rockets at the building. Right. Then there's this whole thing during the trial where they have uh, an expert in FLIR. So FLIR is like for it's it's IR cameras, right? It's like the the UAP videos that we've seen is, yeah, is like a yeah, FLIR yeah. camera. Got it. And there's this expert here who's talking about what he can see on uh, um, on the footage. And we'll just okay. watch a little bit of this. Now, the slow motion shows things uh, much more clearly. This is while the tanks are going into poke holes, supposedly. And you can see that gunfire coming from there. Ah, yeah, I see it. They're Plus firing flashes. at the building. Now, meanwhile, the tanks have loudspeakers on that are blasting. This is not a raid. We're not here to kill you. But, but they can hear the fucking gunfire. But they're fire. shooting at them, right? So then right. the FBI is like, oh, hey, uh, we didn't shoot at them. We just poked holes in their building and pumped gas that can kill children into the building. Because um, CS gas can kill people, especially young children. There are two positions. We look at the tape carefully. There are two positions, and, and apparently, by the signature itself of the of the burst, apparently is going from this area here into the dining room area. This guy that's speaking, by the way, has a patent on FLIR technology. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> What Allard saw was verified in an independent FLIR analysis done by Introspection Institute for CBS 60 Minutes. Quote, 
It was obvious to me on several occasions that there was gunfire or automatic weapons discharge seemingly fired toward the building from the outer perimeter, end quote. So again, what, what, the, what the FBI was telling people is we were just pumping gas in so the men and women and children would come out and we could end the siege peacefully. But they're shooting rockets and, and automatic gunfire at the building while blaring, we're not going to shoot you. Don't worry. Come out. We're not going to kill you. And it's been proven. And what the, what the official story from the FBI after this and the ATF after this was, was those flares that you saw on FLIR, that was sunspots. Even though every expert has said that those, those were automatic gunfire that was showing up on the FLIR video. And there's nothing in nature that can cause that white hot signature that we're seeing from the barrel of a gun, very, very clearly from the barrel of a gun. If that wasn't enough to say that they caused this fire on purpose and that they were lying about what they were doing there, there's been video sense of a tank with a flamethrower. Ah! What these tanks are doing in each picture is collapsing the inside stairwells. House. You can see that this tank has a gas jet on the front that shoots fire. You can also see the fire quite plainly. The tank goes into the house twice, and each time as it backs out, the fire at the gas jets is plainly visible. Yeah. If that's not, I know, I know it's grainy, but that's pretty damn clear for grainy. Yeah. That it's a gas fire jet coming out of this like freaking active tank. fire. We are, yeah. They already told us that these tanks were not equipped with, um, CS gas rockets turned out that some of those CS gas rockets were were taken out of the evidence locker and then someone went back in later and found some like in the ground that they had missed that's how that came out in 1999 <laughs> so they've been lying about everything this whole time and in fact the propaganda around this is so bad that we have to talk about this film that came out I want to talk about this really quick so there's this film called in the line of duty and this aired a little more than a month after Texas or after the fire at the Waco compound which means that this was filmed during the siege, right? Oh so they're literally filming a propaganda film that went out on TV and HBO and all this stuff a month after this. And they filmed it on TV. And it is a propaganda piece. The guy who wrote it uh, basically said he felt like the, the people, I can't remember the name of the movie, there was a propaganda film that helped Hitler rise to power. He said he felt like that guy. Wow. He said he felt like the people who like helped Hitler because he had was partaking in blatant propaganda again you know for the government while a siege is going like that's how much they want to control the narrative and i just want to show you like talking about like who fired first just check out this like little clip from the movie like that's how they portray in the movie right is wow. that they're rushing at the door with guns and they're spraying again there's that um the fire extinguisher on the dogs they didn't shoot the dogs they sprayed a fire extinguisher at them Just forget the dead dogs <laughs> yeah with bullet holes in them um and that when they ran up they sh shot through a wooden door into the police yeah it's like all wow. bs but this came out like again they're making this film while <laughs> while the siege is happening can you believe that i i i <laughs> They started filming like a week after the initial raid. <laughs> That's so dorky too. Like that whole clip was incredibly it's awful, dorky. Right? It's awful. It's awful. Oh my word. Um, what else did I want to say about this? I, I mean, it's I, to me, I think it's very clear that the ATF started the fire. Yes. Um, 
I'm kind of yeah. lost. My, all, all our notes are just all over the place. What else do we want to talk about with this? There's a couple more things I wanted to to mention. One mm-hmm. is that remember that that guy who shot Randy Weaver's wife in the face, even though he yes. was a professional sniper. Yeah, <clears throat> he was there. That same team, that same HRT team, hostage rescue team from the FBI, that same team was at Waco. They're like, you know what would be great? Getting the same guys who fucked up, who <laughs> like. I, it's pretty insane to think that there's a trial for Randy Weaver going on while this starts. And the guy yeah. who should be on trial for shooting Randy Weaver's wife yeah. is instead at Waco killing, you know, pregnant women and children. Kill, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's wild. Another thing that <laughs> that's worth mentioning is that after the fire, after everything, th- they, the government mishandled, improperly handled, improperly stored bodies, um, used bleach on them in ways that destroyed evidence. Like they really were not interested in keeping any evidence at all. They went out of their way to make sure things were erased. I forgot to bring this up, but they also did leave a guy, um, one of the Branch Davidians that they killed in the initial raid, was left hanging over a fence for five days before they hooked him with a helicopter and dragged him up like a piece of meat. Holy that's, that really happened. Like, that's on video. It's like, yeah, so they, they killed somebody, even though they had a ceasefire, right, after the 90-minute gun battle. They had a ceasefire and removed bodies. Right. Like, let us get our guys, you get your guys. Except they left one of the Branch Davidians on a fence in clear view of the media and cameras to be picked apart by dogs and birds for five days before they flew a helicopter over and hooked him and, like, dragged him out of there like a fish. Like so, yes, maximum. they were destroying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you 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 already brought up earlier, like right. They they've got they're doing this these tactics, these psychological warfare tactics. They actually brought they actually had a, a guy there from that was a former Russian KGB or something like that to like coach them and how to like break people. And sleep deprivation is one of those things they used to mm-hmm. break people. So they kept the lights on. They were playing loud rock music all night. They were playing, uh, you know, there was one there was like a phone off the hook for forty five minutes that they played or forty eight oh, wow. hours or something like that. And then they played uh, sounds of dying rabbit and all this stuff and when then they started just running over people's cars with tanks and they were like just doing all these things like and you know antagonize the people inside the building they did kill some people with tanks as well they ran over two people in that um with tanks and they tried to cover that up too yeah but it's it's it is there in the autopsies there's a lot of like little details you can go and look up there's there's a lot here um do you want to do the clinton body count piece I want to get there in a second. The only, the only, I want to bring up one more thing because obviously we're talking about um, this huge response. Really, you're bringing two cattle trailers full of teams. They're they're throwing gas grenades through the doors. There's automatic gunfire. There's tanks. There's rockets. CS rockets. Like this is a huge response from the ATF. And I don't think a lot of people realize that like this is the case where people start going, oh, they're milita- militarizing the police. And this is this is why it's been a, a thing for so long where people are like. The police didn't used to be this way. What the hell happened in the 90s where they militarized the police? They're giving them tanks. They're giving them, you know, rockets and all this crazy stuff. How did this come to be? And in fact, one of the early, um, one of the early conspiracy theories around Waco was that they had Delta Force there. And that was back when Delta Force was still kind of like a a conspiracy hot topic, you know, like thing. Uh, and, and it just turns out they actually did. So, like, there's these articles that you can find later from Seattle Times. Army unit reportedly aided FBI in Waco. Ex-CIA officer says Delta Force participated in the assault. 
former CIA officer yesterday said that uh, he learned that Delta Force commandos, that members of the secret army unit were present up front and close in helping the FBI in the final tear gas assault on the Branch Davidian compound. And again, why, why are they having Delta special forces, you know, army green berets here for this raid? Why are they using automatic gunfire? Why are they using tanks? Why are they doing all this stuff? Right. You might think that's normal. It's not. It's actually it's completely illegal for them to do. And that is because this all started with a lie in the affidavit. They were running a meth lab. Right. And that's something that gets conveniently left out of the documentaries very often. It gets conveniently left out of the podcast. But you can read about it here in the Oklahoman from uh, 1995. Yep. It says federal agents may have lied about the presence of a drug lab to get the military's help in the initial raid in the Branch Davidian compound in Waco. Uh, ABC's World News Tonight said no methamphetamine lab was ever found on the site. The secret government documents also raised questions about the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms request for help from the military. A drug link is one of the few circumstances under which the military may assist civilian law wow. enforcement actions. So again, when I was talking about the affidavit and how much they lied and how much they went outside of their jurisdiction, the DEA has to handle drug enforcement. That's why they're called the Drug Enforcement Agency. Right. But the ATF somehow gets automatic weapons, tanks, and the freaking Green Berets to come in to raid a church right. full of wackos, full of not good people, but they're raiding a church, essentially, right. based off of a known lie that they had a meth lab. <laughs> and they knew it was a lie because they had informants and they had bugs and they had been watching these people forever. So, like, they literally lied about a meth lab just to get the military and, and the Green Berets to be there. So, like, it just it just keeps getting worse. But, yes, uh, you said you wanted me to bring up the, the uh, Clinton body count thing. Yes. So, this one's interesting. This one's interesting. So if you go back and listen to the Clinton body count episode we did, I believe Elise brought this up briefly. Okay. Um, but we're going to go through this a little more thoroughly. And I don't even have a, a solid answer, just like a lot of the stuff with the Clinton body count thing, where it's just like a lot of weird stuff, probably, yeah. maybe. <laughs> um, but here's here's a post that I found on Facebook, and it, it kind of branches out from here. It's not just with Facebook, but it says... Uh, Something you may not have known about the four agents who were killed in Waco, Texas, 1993. So this is the first four who were killed on that initial day. Um, are Steve Willis, who was a Clinton bodyguard. Robert Williams, who was a Clinton bodyguard. Conway LeBlue, who was a Clinton bodyguard. And Todd McKeenan, who was also a Clinton bodyguard. Uh, they were executed by gunfire in the Waco, Texas assault on the Branch Davidians. All four examined by a private doctor and died from nearly identical wounds to the left temple. So-called execution style, according to Linda Thompson, Videotapes and other evidence indicates that none of them died from gunfire by the Branch Davidians. In his address to the employees of the Treasury Department in the cash room on March 18, 1993, Clinton said, quote, My prayers, and I'm sure yours, are still with the families and all four of the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms who were killed in Waco. Todd McKeenan, Conway LeBlue of New Orleans, Steve Willis of Houston, Robert Williams from my hometown of Little Rock. Three of the four were assigned to my security during the course of the primary general election. I know this is on Facebook, and that sounds made up, and I'm reading this going, like, that's that's not a real quote. Yeah. Yes, it is. That is really a real it's quote a real from quote. Bill Clinton in 1993. Here it is. My, it's, uh, where, what's this from? Yeah. The American Presidency Project. You can read this whole March 18th, 1993, <laughs> remarks of the Department of Treasury, and down here he says that exact quote. Three of the four were assigned to my security during the course of the primary or the general election. My gratitude is also with the ATF agents who helped evacuate the World Trade Center, yada, yada, yada. And obviously the the idea here is that they were involved in something like Troopergate or new things about the Whitewater scandal because this is at the time where right. Bill Clinton is cleaning house and a lot of people are dying who know anything about the Whitewater scandal, who know anything about Troopergate, who know anything about his, you know, 
he's just became president. This is before the Kenneth right. Starr investigation, but it seems like around this time, a lot of people were dying who knew anything about Bill Clinton's very obvious, uh, pretty well-documented crimes in Arkansas as governor. So I'm like, this is weird, right? Like, it can't be true that they and killed it's almost like four ATF agents who all were Clinton bodyguards. Like, it just seems what a little too weird. What are the odds, right? But then it's but it not just... But it keeps getting just, weirder. Oh, it's go not ahead, just, yeah. For me, it's not just what are the odds that those people die in this context. But like, what are the odds Clinton gets up there and goes, in case you guys didn't know, I was connected they all to all these people. Yeah. It's well, like so he, wants he them says to three and then someone else links um, Conway LeBlue to him as well. Okay. But it seems like at least three, maybe all four. Right. But yeah, sorry, you were saying it's weird that he would go up and say that he... It, it looks to me like he wants to make sure people know, know that little hint, hint, be afraid of me. You know, I killed them. You're but never going to be able to prove it, but you know, I did it. That is the Clinton's MO, though. And we've established this before. The Clintons are like, we know, you know, right. And we want you to know that we, we want know, you, you know, know, because we want you to know that the police know and they're letting us off the hook. That's how right. scared of us you should be is that we can right. hang a guy from we a tree, shoot him, in the we want. shoot him in the chest with a shotgun and claim it's suicide. And the cops will back us up that it's suicide because right. if you fuck with us, that is the level of of, un, you know, unholy wrath we can unleash upon you and get away with. Yes. Like it's very much a in your face. We we can do whatever we want, you know, thing from the Clintons. It's yes. their MO. So I, I started looking at this and in the report from the Department of Treasury of on Bureau Alcohol of um, the BATF from the report mm -hmm. of the Treasury on the BATF, this 534 page report, which also goes on to say that they'd been planning this raid for months, that they were never planning on doing a, a knock and handing out a warrant and searching the place. Like he's got all of this dirty details in it. One of them in this is these four men who were killed by gunshots on the initial raid. Conway mm -hmm. LeBlue, Todd McKeenan, Robert Williams, Steve Willis, uh, all died from gunshots and were never treated in a hospital. Yeah. Private doctors. Yeah. Like all these other people who died from gunshots were treated in hospitals pretty much. But if you go down, NA means not applicable, treated by EMT at the scene or private physician. Yeah. So it just so happens that these four guys who were shot in the head on the initial raid we're not treated in a hospital. Yep. And then I started looking further um, and just to check this. And again, so you've got it here, shot to the left temple. Mm -hmm. This is uh, Steve Willis. These are real autopsies. Mm -hmm. uh, another one here, shot to the left temple, Conway LeBlue. Mm -hmm. uh, shot to the left temple. This is Robert John Williams. And the only one who breaks this pattern is Todd McKeenan. Mm. He was shot in the chest. But then the weird thing is he was also had a tracheotomy, which people have pointed out, and I would know this as well, like this type of chest wound, you wouldn't do a tracheotomy for. You would do something like a needle chest decompression, huh. something like that to relieve the, the pressure that builds up on the lung. It's taught to every military right. member. It's common thing for a gunshot wound to the chest right um the tracheotomy had like uh, it, it apparently according to some people like had like gunpowder residue around it looked like a hole like it, he was shot in the throat is what they're trying to say and they covered up by saying it was a emergency tracheotomy which is not something oh, most wow. people do and it also doesn't make sense for the type of injury so it's weird he's like the one outlier that i'm not sure what to make of is he then, also the one that clinton didn't claim uh let's check that yeah, no, that's a good point. I need to I need to check that really quick. 
because I don't know if he even says, he just says three of which. So let's look back at this quote. He says, my prayers are with the four families, Steve Willis of Houston, Robert Williams from my hometown, Little Rock, Todd McKinnon, Conway LeBlue of New Orleans, Steve Willis of Houston, Robert Williams from my hometown. Huh. I don't know. He says three or four of these were assigned to my security. I I didn't, I should have looked into that. So you're right. But I will say there is something weird um, going on. And that was my thought as well, is maybe he's the one who wasn't that they were trying to link. Actually, right. I can probably find that out from this. Um, let's look back at this really quick. So uh, four agents entered through a wind. Okay. Little Rock, Arkansas officer ATF confirmed that all four had at one point been bodyguards of Clinton. Three were campaigning for president while he was governor of Arkansas. Even this doesn't say which one. I'm right. guessing, I tried to find out and I, I just didn't have time. It's like, they so ha- things. it's like they committed different crimes against him. And so well, my point is maybe Todd McKeon really was just shot in the chest. You know what I'm saying? Maybe he was shot maybe. in the chest and the throat. And these other three were shot all in the left temple. But here's where it gets really weird mm. is there's another thing from this. And again, I, make of it what you will because it doesn't fully line up. But there is some weird stuff with the footage that we did get. Gotcha. Um, and this is the, from Waco the Big Lie. This is the first one. This isn't Waco 2, the electric boogaloo. This is the original. It's the OG. <laughs> OG. All right. After these agents get through the window and into the room, you will- these are these are three of the agents who died. By the way, the story around them changed multiple times. They mm. all there is footage of the three of them going in the window. These three did die, and then later it said no that there was two teams of two uh, that went in different. They kept changing the story even though it's on footage. So like already really weird. Briefly see the fourth agent on the roof, followed by one of those badly edited cuts in the film. Look at that. The Just film picks missing up film. With the fourth agent tossing something into the room. It makes no sense for him to be throwing anything at all into a room where the three ATF agents have just gone, unless he intends to injure his own men. He wow. also fires a machine gun into the room twice without looking. We'll watch it at normal speed, then slow it down. All right, so we're not going to watch it because she's right, but it's, it's just a long clip. Wow. The only reason this doesn't match up is because it seems like they're shot execution style. But what's weird about it is three men go into a room, cut, you know, yeah. missing footage. Then the guy who was watching their back throws in a flashbang and starts firing blindly into the room that, who knows? Right. Like, how long ago did they go into the room? We don't know because th- there's missing footage. So, again, there's just so much weirdness around their deaths that I could very well see that these three men were executed and just blamed on the chaos because they all worked for Bill Clinton. Right. I know it's the craziest part of this theory, but I had to bring it up because it's just... That's wild. It's so weird, and there's no concrete evidence on any of it because it's just like, well, what do you what do you do with it? Three men are shot in the temple, um, They all like, which is weird, that of four of the people who died that day, three of them were shot three in the were left shot temple. Three were shot in the temple, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, we're supposed to believe that... Uh, you know, these were like they were prepared and they were shooting through the door and they kill all these agents. And it's like maybe maybe these three men were just conveniently killed while they could blame it on somebody else. Who knows? Yeah. Um, again, it's one of the more out there parts of the conspiracy theory, but it's worth bringing up because I don't know what to think of it. I definitely. Yeah. At least the three. At least I'm not so sure about Todd McKeenan. Like, right. it seems like they're stretching to say, like, oh, it wasn't a tracheotomy. Maybe he was shot in the throat. Maybe he was. I don't know. But it's just like, it doesn't yeah. match the pattern of the other three. I could def. And again, Bill Clinton said three. So everybody's right. trying. Like, to me, I feel like you can oversell a conspiracy theory where you actually, like, make it not work. Right. Where if somebody was just saying, hey, Bill Clinton said three of these guys worked for him and three of them were shot in the left temple, 
that's, that's pretty weird. Yeah. Instead of like adding in the t- like trying to fit the square peg in the round hole, Todd McKeenan. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And again, they they kept changing the story that we have on footage about how these men died and where they entered the building and all this stuff. I so. can also see the fourth being connected, but not on Bill's orders. Like the fourth is the guy who f- who found out that they were executing the three, so they just and kind then of they shot him in the throat and said it was a tracheotomy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, could be right. They definitely seems like there was a cover up around that. The tracheotomy yeah. thing's weird. Yeah, it really is. Okay, and then the last thing I wanted to say um, on this is that. They did. Survivors of Waco tried to sue uh, over this, but a judge threw out their case. So while oh, they did Randy, try to sue. yeah, okay. while Randy Weaver got a pretty good amount of justice out of it, um, the Branch Davidians did did not. They were a lot of them were cleared of charges or cleared of most charges. Didn't have to serve very much. Served a little bit, you know, but they were still treated differently even though they had done less in my opinion i will say this though the 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 people who did get put away for a little while it's weird like the circumstances around it are a little odd basically what they found was that they had every right to defend themselves right Mm -hmm. like the atf had a knock warrant they didn't knock like they came up in cattle trailers and shot dogs and all this shit right so the court found that all the Branch Davidians in that initial gunfight were within their legal rights to defend themselves and therefore, the cops they killed, they were not charged for. And all, all of this, right? What's odd, though, is that a few people went away for, uh, I want to make sure I get this right. It was, um, it was aiding and abetting in manslaughter because they were holding guns during this time. Which is a very weird charge, considering that you had the legal right to defend yourself, but then people but were still charged with holding guns. Yeah, that's wild. So... It's just weird all the way around. There was at least one. Um, there was at least one uh, juror who later came out and said, "If I had known all of the facts, I would have cleared them on all charges." Oh 100%. wow! Like there was a lot of weirdness around the case. A lot of things were withheld from them. They had like a ninety. I think it was a ninety-six or it was either ninety-six or fifty-six page um, thing of like, "This is how you're supposed to view the evidence. Make sure that you yeah. like look at it this way." And it was it was kind of tilted, and they still <clears throat> were found to be. Right. within the rights to defend themselves, which says wow. a lot. Yeah, it, says it really a lot does. about what the, the facts are. It really does. Um, okay, last thing before the Rumble section is that there is a narrative that is strongly put out there about both of these things put together, and it's that Timothy McVeigh, who did, allegedly, the Oklahoma City bombing, um, was, in, was explicitly inspired by Ruby Ridge and Waco, and he was actually there at Waco and gave an interview. Yeah. Do you have that? I'm sorry. I didn't pull that up either. Where it's, is it? It's in the notes. It's uh, right the last thing before the Rumble section, timestamp 110. Okay. Yes. Mr. Bain. Yes. So, yeah, he was there selling um, bumper stickers, right? So. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just pulling this up really quick. Eh, sorry for not being prepared. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Uh, just arrived today. I guess uh, somebody told me a lot of people are, would be scared to put something on, you know, like this. Timothy McVeigh had already apparently been very concerned about what had happened at Ruby Ridge. So he came down to Waco and sold bumper stickers 
with pro-gun, anti-government slogans. He saw the raid as clear evidence of what the government would do to try to confiscate guns and persecute gun owners. I kind of like these bumper stickers a little. I hate bumper stickers uh, as a general principle. <laughs> but like if I was a boomer, ban guns, make the streets safe for a government takeover. I would have that in my car if I was a, if I was a boomer. <laughs> you, 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 do you like, you like the Nazi symbol one? Well, yeah. <laughs> If oh. you read it, though, it's what it's saying is that the Nazis and the communists banned guns, and that's yeah. how they were able to do that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure people look at it and go, like, oh, Timmy McVeigh with the Nazi symbol. It's like, well, he's, it's actually anti-Nazi if you understand the context of it. Um, he's just a kid. Because the fears your yeah. guns. I mean, they're very boomery, but, like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so weird, though, right? It's like, yeah. we're going to cover this in the future, but the, 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 the through line seems to be, like, we're going to make people guilty. Right, and it's like one to the next to the next. It's like we're like we're gonna spend seven years making sure that Randy Weaver is guilty. Yes, and then we're going to say, "Hey, David Koresh, you selling illegal guns?" He's like, "Come and check it out, dude." They had to make him guilty, right? Even even yeah. if it meant like forcing David Koresh to out of defense shoot at you to make him guilty. Like that's what they right. were willing to do. And with Timothy McVeigh, we haven't we'll cover it in the future, but I, I think the pattern holds. Yeah. I think the pattern holds that they had to make this man guilty of something. I don't think any of these people are good people, by the way. I don't think Timothy yeah. McVeigh is a good person. No. I don't think Randy Weaver is a good them. person. I definitely don't think David Koresh is a good person. Um, yeah. But isn't that but, how it works, though? Like, isn't that how? Isn't that the point? Is like, if you can look at these people and go, well, I don't really care that they shot like a, a child rapist cult leader. You know what I mean? Then it's like, yeah, you just kind of turn a blind like is that I think the point is to get people to turn a blind eye to right like government encroachment. You're are you gonna are you gonna defend this person? Are you gonna are you gonna, are you willing to stand up for a person like this? And that's what happened with 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 Alex Jones, right? Because people everybody knew he was being treated super unjustly during the whole um, lawsuit last year, right. but no one would stand up for him because he's Alex Jones. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of what they were saying was dishonest anyway. Right. Like, Alex Jones for years had been saying, like, look, I think the government caused these this right. shooting. He took um, back the part that they were mad about anyway, but they didn't care. They still wanted to yeah, sue him for it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But that's, that's, uh, how, that's how this works, right? Is they, yeah. they give you people who are gen, genuinely probably bad, mm -hmm. and then they say, well, we, we did terrible things to get these people, but are you going to defend them? Are you going to be the right-wing extremist, Nazi right. sympathizer, uh, cult leader who's, you know, wants, wants David Crush to punch babies in the face? Right. Is that who you are? And that's the intimidation tactic to go like, oh, I guess I, guess I don't want to be that guy because I don't want to be associated with white supremacists. So I guess right. the ATF can, you know, shoot a woman holding a baby over a shortened shotgun. Like that's, that's, that's the, yeah. yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, I would say that, that Randy Weaver was already a little bit crazy and then they drove him fully crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want to, I don't know. I think, I don't think he was a bad person. I think I'm at, just saying, at worst, I'm just saying like was, if he was, cause I don't think he probably was either, but if he was, who cares? Because that, right. that point is they want him to look like he's right. a bad person. They want you to believe he's a white was, supremacist. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was. Who cares? Like what they did was still not dumb. right. I think he was kind of dumb sometimes. Sure. I don't think he was particularly thoughtful. But 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 Koresh was smart. Koresh did everything right and still and still 
he, he got, got his he, whole he actually, community killed. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he actually tried. And I don't know if you said this earlier, but even with the negotiators, they like every time he had a negotiator he liked, they changed it. He had like something like 90 negotiators over like 50 days. Yeah. And the insane. one he liked, they were like, nope, you can't deal with him. It's like they were they were gaslighting him. They were tr they no, they wanted an outcome. They wanted a certain outcome. And otherwise they, they would have let him finish his damn manifesto and then arrested him. Right. right? And I, I think this is what was going to happen. If I had to guess about Ruby Ridge um, from the fact pattern, I think that they wanted they wanted the siege to be with the Aryan nations. Mm. And then Weaver defied them. And so they decided it's going to be with you instead. And then that was a big black eye. So then they're like, well, we need the win. So we'll go after the Waco people. Mm -hmm. And they needed it to be a siege. And they needed it to be everything that it was. And I don't think they wanted a single person. To, like, that's the one where it's like, okay, Randy said, I don't think they want my family to leave. And they did let his family eventually leave. Yeah. I don't think that they wanted a single survivor in Waco. I think that's why they set the building on fire on purpose. Mm. I think that's why they were saying, hey, uh, don't, don't worry. Come out. We're not going to shoot you. Bang, bang, bang. Right. I don't think they wanted survivors. I think they very much didn't. And I think the fact that there were any survivors at all, people like David Thibodeau has actually made them look really bad over the years right. where they could have probably still gotten away with their propaganda win because they had their damn um, HBO movie, right. you know, put out a month later. Like there were, the propaganda was ready and armed. Yes. It wasn't until really after survivors came out that people started going, holy shit, everything they told us about Waco was a was lie. Was a lie. Yeah. Well, because they had so completely, the media had so completely primed the community mm -hmm. around Waco to to accept it and to and to think it was a good thing. I think with Randy Weaver, the point was to humiliate him and punish him and to For scare anybody who could ever be like, yeah, who could ever be like him of like, if you, if you ever want to go off grid, if you ever want to believe revelation, if you ever want to. Mm want to tell the government you don't want to participate in their stupid little games we're going to kill your children and your wife and, and and just destroy everything you care about yeah no i think that's exactly it i think that this whole thing was about making uh an example and i think it just continued throughout the the clinton presidency was like look at right right wing militias bad right wing militias are the evil the, they're the mm -hmm. devil look what they did at ruby ridge and waco and timothy mcveigh and that's the thing they had to eventually get one that like really stuck and it, it kind of worked out with timothy mcveigh where they're like oh hey here's a guy who blew up a building and right. he was saying it was for ruby ridge and for waco so even though those were like big black eyes on us now you can look at it and be like but we didn't blow up a, a building or right Shit, right you know well they did they, they burnt down a compound with women and children in it so yeah so that's kind of the end there and i think we can we have more we can discuss over on rumble um i sunset memes are there we, memes are there memes over the discord we'll go look the memes yes we will be over on rumble guys so uh if you're listening to this later please come over to rumble.com conspiracy pilled support the show uh join us on locals all that good stuff um and if you're watching live and you're on youtube still or Facebook or anything like that, hurry up and come over to Rumble and uh, continue to chat with us. And uh, if not, we'll see you next week. Have a great night, everyone. God bless.